The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. This is the word of the Lord from Amos 8, 11 to 14. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The next time you're in Washington, D.C., I would highly encourage you to visit the Museum of the Bible and prepare yourself. You may need more than one day to visit the Museum of the Bible because it is amazing to see all of the different displays that are there, far more than just a bunch of Bibles. There are so many things that describe the history of Scripture being interpreted and translated and distributed and tell many different stories of good times and hard times and there are some incredible things that that museum has that you can see nowhere else in the world, and I highly recommend that you visit there the next time you're in D.C. Among the, the exhibits that are troubling, some relate to persecution, some relate to times when people tried to eradicate Scripture completely, and then there are also some exhibits that remind us of some times when the church was not at her best. One of the troubling displays that's there is what's called the Slave Bible, which was used back in the early 1800s, mostly in the Caribbean islands, among people who, while enslaving others, were also sharing with them about Christ and the Bible. And what they did with the Slave Bible in the early 1800s was they took out sections that related to justice, sections that related to freedom, Sections that related to loving your neighbor so that the slaves would not get incited in some way to uprise, rise up against their masters. To do this, of course, the creators of the slave Bible had to remove half of the New Testament and almost all of the Old Testament, including the book of Amos, so that those who would read would not know how God's heart leans towards justice and freedom and love for your neighbor just as a general rule of thumb if you ever find yourself reading the bible and you start tearing out pages because they're not convenient or or they're not what you prefer you you're probably not in the place that you need to be okay when we come to the scripture we believe this is teaching that christians have followed for over 2,000 years and many others have followed before that that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is the word of God that brings life to us and we don't get to choose conveniently which parts of the word of God re relate to and and are relevant to the covenant community of faith and those that we would rather not be and the book of Amos is certainly one of those that as we've gone through it is challenging and it's hard 
And I feel like I assume we'll feel again this morning when we get to the end of the message time, there is a heaviness on us. But I pray that that heaviness will continue to be something that is a blessing because we know that we have heard from God's word. And he's speaking to us as his covenant community today in a way that maybe we would not repeat the mistakes of the covenant communities of the past. So as we move into Amos chapter 8 today, I want to just give you a picture of what happens in the verses before what we just read out loud. I shared with you last Sunday that we wouldn't read this entire chapter because though we're used to parts of Amos being pretty difficult and challenging, there are some things early on in chapter 8 that I didn't feel like for the young ears in the room we would read out loud this morning. But what happens at the beginning of this chapter, and you're free to look at it with me if you want for a moment, is yet another vision that Amos receives from the Lord. So if you think back to where we started, in the first several chapters, Amos wasn't so much receiving visions as he was receiving words. And the words that God would give him, Amos would just repeat those words out for the people to hear, that, that God was literally speaking through Amos as his prophet, as his mouthpiece to deliver the words that God wanted his people to hear. But starting in chapter 7, as we saw last week, Amos starts to see a series of visions. The first one, hopefully you remember, is of a plague of locusts that would come in and devour the land, specifically at the most essential time of the harvest. And Amos prayed to God, Lord, please don't let that happen. That would destroy us. And then the second vision that Amos sees is of a, a supernatural fire, a divine fire coming down from heaven and devouring all of the land. And Amos prays again to God, Lord, please don't let that happen. That would completely destroy us. And so the third vision he receives is of a plumb line. It's a measuring tool. And God says with that vision, instead of destroying my people completely, what I'm going to do is measure out my judgment upon them according to my word. And I'm going to measure it out as I see fit. And even in the midst of, of, of telling Amos that, that judgment is going to be measured out, yet once again a call goes out that the people would repent, that they would finally listen as God was speaking to them and turn their hearts away from their sin and away from their idols and back to God. Well, now in chapter 8, Amos sees another vision. This time the vision is of a basket of fruit, ripe fruit, just after the harvest. And this is an image that the people of Israel would have been used to and they would have looked forward to seeing because every year in the fall, the season like we're in right now, they would have the festival of booths. And when they would have the festival of booths, they would bring out these bowls and baskets of fruit from the harvest and all the people would celebrate. And they would give thanks to God. And they would say, once again, God, you have provided for us. And here is the evidence. We have this ripe fruit from the harvest. Let us feast and let us celebrate the provision of God. This time God says to Amos, the time is ripe for my people Israel. And this will not be the fruit of celebration. This will not be the fruit of prosperity. But it will be the bitter fruit of judgment. And I will spare them no longer. God says their worship songs will turn to funeral songs. 
Their songs of thanksgiving will become dirges of death. Your sins against me, God says, have not gone unnoticed. And then here's where we land in verse 7 of this chapter. Again, just right before what we read. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. He calls out judgment upon the land. He calls out judgment upon their crops and their homes. And then in verse 9, God says, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, things are going to be dark. I'm going to make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth as if in broad daylight. I've shared with us every week of this study that one of the things we have in common with the people of Amos' day in the northern kingdom of Israel and Samaria is that, that we've been experiencing, for the most part, great prosperity in our lives and in our culture, especially compared with many others in the world. And this was a time for God's people of great prosperity and, and economic affluence and, and a sense among the people that we're so good, we're so great, we're so rich, we're so powerful, no one will ever be able to knock us down. And Amos has reminded us of some biblical truths that are also some life truths that control is an illusion. Only God is truly in control. When we think we are in control, we are fooling ourselves. Comfort does not last. Security is never guaranteed. And at the heart of this message is the idea that God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. People reap what they sow. And the people of God in Samaria have been reaping judgment and destruction because through their sin and idolatry, they have refused to repent. So soon, their illusions of control will be shattered. Their comforts will be stripped away. Their security will turn to insecurity. And they will reap the bitter fruit that they have sown with their idolatry and injustice. God says there in verse 10, I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. In other words, you will finally be broken over your sin and you will finally grieve over the evil that you have done and I will force repentance upon you. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads and I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. And of all the lack that they're going to face, of all that they're going to lose, the worst of it will be, as we read in verses 11 and 12, a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Amos has already been preparing the people that they're going to go through some hard times physically, they're going to lose their wealth. They're going to lose their homes. They're going to lose their land. They're going to lose their freedom because an enemy, a conquering enemy, is about to invade their lands. But now God says at the heart of your need is going to be your spiritual need. And you're going to finally wish that you could hear my voice. But when you call out for a time, there will be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord and that spiritual hunger and thirst that you have will not be filled. Now, I don't know about you, 
But as we look at these verses, this is hard for me to understand. Because I'm so used to using the language from Scripture that hungering and thirsting for God is a good thing. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what did Jesus say? They will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for the Word of God, they will be fed, they will grow, they will be blessed, they will find life. And yet God is saying to the people through Amos, you're going to have a hunger and thirst, but I'm not going to fill it. I'm not going to speak you're going to want to hear my voice, but my voice will not be present with you. The many blessings that God had given to them, we can see they already took them for granted. In fact, probably they despised the blessings of God. And at the top of the list of the blessings they despised was his voice, his word in their midst. So the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine of a different kind through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And people will stagger from sea to sea, wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And here's, to the best of my understanding, what I think God is saying. For a time, Israel, northern kingdom, Samaria, you will have no more prophets delivering my word to you. Amos, therefore, is the last prophet to the northern kingdom for a long, long time. And just like all the prophets before Amos, God sends someone to them to deliver his word, to deliver his truth, not to cut out the parts that are convenient or are not preferred, but to deliver it to them fully, and they refuse to listen. Hear me on this. I know this is hard. But it's not that God wasn't speaking. It's that the people weren't listening. It's not that God's voice was absent. It's that the people refused to hear. They didn't have ears to hear. They didn't have eyes to see. And so one more time, God sends a prophet saying to the people in the clearest of terms, and we know it's in the clearest of terms because we're in chapter 8, right? We've been reading this. It is time to repent. This is your last chance. Reject your idols. Give your hearts back to God. Imprint his word on your hearts again. Walk in the path of righteousness and justice and faithfulness. Love your neighbor. Demand what is right. Reject what is wrong. And God will spare you. And what do the people say to Amos? Well, we're in chapter 8. We've yet to see one person say, okay. I'll listen. We've yet to see one group of people say, we're coming under conviction. We're going to put on that sackcloth on our own and repent and turn. No one has received this message. And so now God says, that hunger and thirst that you don't have, it's going to come, but it's going to come too late. And for a time, you will experience a famine of hearing the words of the Lord as a part of your punishment as a part of your judgment. It's interesting when we read through stories like this, we probably might be tempted to have a feeling like, good, that's what they deserve. They deserve this judgment. They, why should God speak to them if they don't want to hear his voice? And yet, we're so often, so, so commonly we forget that though we want justice and judgment and consequences for everyone else, when we sin, we want grace. 
And I had another experience that reminded me of that in my own personal life this week. So last week I had the armadillo story that I got to share, right? God just keeps giving me stories during the week and my personal life of of my reminders that I need to have. So I was in Austin, Texas, of all places, this last week. And the group that I was with, we went into a coffee shop, and we were in there for about an hour and a half to have a meeting. And we came back out to the pickup truck we were riding in, turned the ignition, the key in the ignition, and knew immediately something was wrong by the sound that the vehicle made. Tried to put it in into gear, it wouldn't go backwards, it wouldn't go forward in a normal way. And so we parked the, the truck, and I got out, and I thought, man, what sounded weird was the muffler i wonder if the muffler's gone and then i realized what had happened and the reason i realized some of you are nodding your heads you know what happened the real reason i know what happened is because it's happened to our church vehicles like a dozen times in broad daylight while we were in this coffee shop someone crawled underneath that pickup truck and sawed off the catalytic converter and took it off in the middle of the day. Something that they might be able to sell and get 40 or $50, but it's gonna cost my friend thousands of dollars and months to get replaced. I got under that truck, I saw that it was gone, and man, my blood pressure just rose. I wanted justice. I couldn't believe someone would do that to us and leave us stranded and do this to my friends. I even was saying things out loud like, it's time for the government to raise the penalty for stealing those catalytic converters. These people need decades in prison for this, right? That's what, that's what I was feeling. And then once again, God reminded me that when I mess up, when I'm desperate, when I sin, I want grace. But when it's done against me, I want judgment. Lest we feel like they're just getting what they deserve. We remember that without Jesus Christ, we would all get what we deserve. And what we deserve is sin and judgment. We want justice for them, but grace for us. Well, what happens here in chapter 8, this famine of God's word, is something that is instructive and a warning for all of us. And before we go to the last two verses, let me just mention a story that happened in chapter 7 that we didn't read together, but I think it's really important to understand before we finish out chapter 8. So at the end of chapter 7, there's a rare moment in Amos where it's not a vision and it's not prophecy, but it's narrative. It's a story. And it's the story of one of those famous biblical showdowns between a prophet of God and somebody who's a false teacher or a false prophet. In this case, the showdown is between Amos, the prophet of God, and a man named Amaziah, who is appointed as a priest by King Jeroboam II. One of my friends here at South Tulsa, Phil Martin, he sent me this quote recently. Someone said, read the Old Testament and find a prophet who made people feel good. Because you won't find one. And usually the prophets, not only did they not make people feel good, but they didn't often see results. And usually they were hated by the people that they were sent to proclaim the word of God too. In this case, Amos is blamed because he's the messenger. That's what often happens, right? Shoot the messenger. And Amaziah goes to King Jeroboam and he accuses Amos of blasphemy and treason. And then he uses a word to insult Amos. He calls him a seer. So prophet of God is one who is to be honored one who receives the word that comes directly from the Lord. A seer is one who uses parlor tricks and deceptions 
and claims to be a prophet but is not Amaziah calls Amos a seer the irony of all of this is that it's not Amos who is a pretender but it's Amaziah Amaziah is called a priest not only is he called a priest he's a priest in the temple at Bethel what does Bethel mean Bethel means the house of God right in the heart of the center of Jacob is this holy sacred place where God was speaking to his people in the past now the temple at Bethel listen the temple at Bethel was filled with idols and they were serving the false gods of the nations Amaziah is the one who's in sin Amaziah is the one who's a pretender and yet he accuses Amos of being the seer the false prophet I love what Amos says Amos says Amaziah let me just remind you who I am I was neither the son of a king nor the son of a prophet I was a simple shepherd out in my fields tending my sheep taking care of my sycamore trees and the only reason I'm here is because God spoke to me and he called me and he sent me here with this message for you I have no other credentials I love how Amos rests in his call from God I have no other credentials except that God called me and by the way at the end of chapter 7 uh, Amaziah you've insulted the Lord's anointed and there are some bad bad consequences coming your way all of that leads us into chapter 8 and it's important that we remember what God has been saying when all is said and done justice is going to roll on like a river and even though people might attack Amos and by attacking Amos they're attacking the words of God because he's delivering the words of God Amos stands firm he sounds like the apostles in the book of Acts we must obey God rather than men Amos says I am here because God called me and make no mistake about your idols and make no mistake about those who worship idols the last two verses of chapter 8 they will fall never to rise again those who worship idols and the idols themselves they will fall never to rise again now before we get into the very last verse I want to talk about verse 13 for a moment and I want you to be prepared because this is a hard part of this message that many of us in here need to hear specifically because we have children we have grandchildren we have people in our lives where we've been entrusted to pass on the words of God to them not in a convenient way not in a cut and paste way not just the ones we prefer but the the words of God in their entirety and look at who verse 13 tells us is going to bear the brunt of the judgment it's going to be the younger people it's going to be the younger generation the lovely young women in that day God says and the strong young men they will faint because of that thirst for God's word it's not going to be the oldest because many of them won't be there when a lot of these things happen it's not even going to be the next oldest because they're going to experience something different in a short-term time but those who are younger the young women the young men who are going to live on they're going to be the ones who fully experience the lack the famine of the words of God 
who bear the brunt of the worst things that are going to happen physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's going to fall on them. And this to me is such an important reminder for all of us, the responsibility that we have to build our homes and to build our families upon the foundation of the word of God. And as we do that, to believe that God will be building up in us a spiritual house that will be able to withstand the storms that we all face and that we're facing even now. I'm not sure we're exactly to the point that the people were in Amos's day, but to God's covenant community today, I tell you, our responsibility to those coming behind us is greater than it's ever been. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like the commands that are repeated throughout Scripture over and over again. Write the words of the Lord on your heart and teach them to your children and teach them to your children's children who will pass them on to their children and thus the covenant community will remain strong. A house of God built upon the foundation of his word and it will not fall when it's built on that foundation. But if not... If we just decide that's their problem, it's not ours. If we decide we only want to deliver to, to our children and our grandchildren half of the story, part of the story, then we shouldn't be surprised when the house crumbles. The young men, the young women, they will faint because of their thirst. And then finally, those idols and those who worship them will fall. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria. Those who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan, the false God they were worshiping in Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, those who were worshiping a false God in Beersheba, all of them, they will fall never to rise again. Listen to me, this is so important. When there is a void of genuine worship of God, something else will fill that space. When there is a void of faithful obedience to God, something will fill that space. When there is a void of, of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, something else will fill that space. And usually what fills those spaces is a worship of idols. Usually what fills those spaces are worship of idols and sin and unfaithfulness and selfishness and bitterness and hatred and division. That's what comes in and makes our hearts polluted beyond measure. In this case, all of the false gods and the idols of the Gentile nations, along with their inhumane practices, were more than happy to fill the voids for the people of Israel. And from Dan to Beersheba, which is the way the Bible often says, from the north to the south, everybody who worships idols and all of their idols, if they do not repent, if those idols are not removed, make no mistake, they will fall, never to rise again. Now let's think for just a moment how God desires for this to happen. God desires for this to happen through repentance. His call through Amos, his call to us, is that we would reject our idols, that we would return to faithfulness by repenting of our sin, turning to God in righteousness, and then committing our lives to walk in faithful obedience. That's how God wants to see our idols removed, and he wants to cleanse our hearts and our land. 
but if we don't repent just like the people of samaria god will remove them anyway god will come in and and like a threshing floor he will clean the deck but what we want what we desire what i pray as a pastor as a father is that it would happen in our lives through repentance and obedience not through the hand of judgment if we're looking for good news in amos and all the way here into chapter 8 we've really been looking for it let me tell you next week in chapter 9 we will come to the good news part i love the way god's going to speak to his people in chapter 9 he's going to say once again judgment is coming they will fall never to rise again your land's going to be destroyed i'm going to reject you you're not going to hear my voice and then in a way that's very similar to what we saw in the book of hosea a couple years ago god says in chapter 9 but how can i do that how can i really do that to my children that i love how can i really as a loving father bring down that level of judgment on them and here's what god says I'm going to punish you and you're going to experience all that Amos has told you for a time but a time is coming when I will restore you again and once again as my covenant people you'll experience my salvation and you want to know how that's going to happen for them it's going to happen in the same way that you and I can sit here today and say that we've experienced salvation it's going to come through a savior that's the promise god says through the house of david you will rise again which means through the son of david through jesus christ god still fulfills his promises to his people even when they reject him and refuse to listen to his voice because jesus christ has come in the flesh he's lived the perfect life he died a sacrificial death on the cross and he rose victoriously on the third day defeating sin and death forever we can say that restoration has come in jesus christ and we believe upon him for our salvation jesus said in matthew chapter 4 quoting deuteronomy chapter 8 it is written Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word, not just some, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the reason I feel I can say confidently, we're not yet at the point of the people of Israel in Amos chapter 8, is because I believe God is still speaking. I believe God is still speaking to us we saw evidence of that today in the baptistry god is still speaking but the question is are we listening and are our hearts open to every word that comes from the mouth of god so what i want us to do as we close this morning please don't start packing up getting ready thinking about the next thing to come if you'll give me your last 60 to 90 seconds of your best listening posture i want to just make four simple statements here for us to walk away with here's the first one we are helpless without god here's the second we are lost in complete ignorance and darkness without god's word and without god's truth 
Here's the third. We are lost in sinful selfishness and cold-heartedness towards others and even hatred without God's love. And finally, when we were helpless, when we were lost in ignorance and darkness, when we were lost in sinful selfishness, thanks be to God when we needed a Savior, a Savior was given to us. And because of Jesus Christ, we are no longer helpless, we are no longer lost, we are no longer stumbling around in darkness. And we now know the fullest meaning of God's love in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much today for your presence. I thank you for an incredible time of worship where in this place we can say that, that it's your name that was being worshipped. Lord, we were lifting you up and we pray that, that our, our songs of worship and our words of worship and the words of of teaching and understanding would not just be words, but that they would be steps of obedience. They would be a part of our story of following you and seeing your faithfulness in our lives and responding with faithfulness to you. And Lord, I pray today if there's anyone who has never surrendered their life to you, that they know today in their heart they are helpless without you. Lord, that you would speak to them so clearly and point them to Christ and point them to the cross that today they would take that step of surrendering their lives to you. Saying, just like Tucker said in the baptistry, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Jesus is the King of my heart. And Lord, for all of us, I pray in this last moment we have together that you would speak to our hearts, that you would lead us in obedience. And God, help us to take the step that you have in front of us to take today. In Jesus' name, amen.